and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 55. This week my guest is Jamie West and he'll be telling us about his cosy mysteries set in old theatres or in fact um, extinct theatres. So stick around for that, he really is a nice guy and uh, he's got lots to say about history and we also talk about our love of lino-cut art um, which are his book covers. Okay, so at my desk this week, well, at my desk this week, funnily enough, I've been writing. I've been hard at it because I really would like to get book two of The Midwitch out before Christmas. Okay, I've said it on air now. <laughs> I don't know whether I've said this before, but I'd really like to get the book, the book, the book two out before Christmas or at the very latest, just after Christmas or during the Christmas period. So I'm working really hard to um, meet the deadline. I've put my editor in it and I'm really pressing on making sure that I hit the right amount of words every day in order to um, get that, you know, actually make that happen. So how do I go about this? Well, as I've often said before, I'm not really a morning person, but having said that, I have been trying to get to my desk before lunch, which, you know, about 11 o'clock, and I've been trying to kind of sit down there and do the editing of the stuff that I that I did before. Now, because of my dyslexia, um, I edit as I go along. I find this much less uh, annoying than having a whole document that is just completely up the creek and quite unreadable, really. And, and it just seems too daunting to me. So I kind of edit as I go along. I don't make... I mean, I, I correct mistakes as I see them, but mostly I'm using the pro writing aid and I go through it and I sort out all the words that are backwards and upside down and whatever else has happened. And uh, and I kind of make it make it so that if you read it, you could you could get you know, you'd know where that was. So when I come to do the proper edit at the end of the book, I'm not faffing around with trying to think about, you know, what word I meant or something like that, because well, having just written it the day before, I, I know what I wanted to say, so I can I can get, get the word that I needed. So I've been trying to sort of get the, the, the editing part done from the day before, so that after lunch I can get on and do the, do the writing and write the next thousand words, or sometimes two thousand words if I'm on a roll. So yeah, so I've been really working hard with that. Okay, so now the other thing I was going to talk about was you know, the publishing world or the writing world, the book world, it changes constantly and there's always something something new on the horizon. So I thought, um, when appropriate, I might just tell you guys a little bit of something that I might have noticed over the week. Well, this week I've noticed that apparently you can do text-only TikToks now. I haven't tried it yet, but I certainly will do. Uh, and that's actually quite useful, you know, so you don't really need a graphic if you don't want one. So I think it's quite an interesting thing. Um, if you press on TikTok, the plus button at the bottom of your screen when you're going to make a new TikTok, you'll see next to it, you know, it's, you know, it's got the video times, you know, the 15 minutes and the 60, 15 minutes, 15 seconds and the 60 seconds and so forth. Uh, and if you go to the right hand side, it, it says text and you can press that and do a text only TikTok. So... Yeah, there's a thing. I hadn't noticed it. I, somebody brought it to my attention, so I'll definitely have a go with that next week at some point. Um, and what else? Well, as this show goes out uh, sometime in whenever that might be, <laughs> September, I think, um, uh, the self-publishing show live that was on in the summer, uh, they do have a video 
of the conference that you can buy and I don't think it's that much uh it comes in with your ticket if you went to the show so you get it automatically which I think is really really good value and there's a few things that I want to kind of go back over and I'm looking forward to for that coming coming down because I think it'll come out next week as I'm recording this it's just the um it's just the end of July it's August next week and so uh if you didn't manage to get to the show and you could afford to buy the the self-publishing show live ticket I, I would really recommend it because you know there was some really good speakers on there and um, although you don't get I'm sure you don't get quite the atmosphere and you obviously you're not getting to network with other authors like you are at the show but I think it would definitely give you the gist it'll definitely make you decide whether you think it's worth coming next year and believe me it is of all the things I've been at um, over the years and, and I've done quite a few of these things. Uh, the self-publishing show live is basically the only one I ever bother with now. So, yeah, so definitely, if you can afford it, go and get that. I'll put a note for Mark Dawson's website thing on the bottom of the show notes as usual. So you can go and, and have a look at that and see what you think. So I'm. this is not an affiliate link. It's just purely my opinion. So there we are. <laughs> so anyway, right, come and meet Jamie West. He's a really nice guy and um, interesting stuff. This week on the Words and Pictures podcast, my lovely guest is Jamie West. Now, Jamie has written a lovely book called Death on the Pier. Now, tell me a little bit about your book, Jamie, because uh, it looks like a nice, cosy mystery, kind of in the in the vein of um, Richard Osman, that kind of thing. Am I right? Yes, it is. A, hopefully it's a nice, cosy mystery. Absolutely. Um, it's set in the theatrical world of 1930s Brighton. Um, and Bertie Carroll, who's kind of a well-known murder and mystery playwright, he goes to see one of his plays in Brighton where he meets Hugh, who's an old school friend who very conveniently happens to also be a police detective as well. Um, and then during the play that evening, one of the actors is shot and killed on stage, which we think is just part of the action. Uh, but it soon becomes apparent that things have not really gone to plan and someone has been shot in front of an unsuspecting audience full of witnesses. So it falls to Bertie and Hugh to kind of get to the bottom of what's actually gone on. Yeah, brilliant. And it sounds sounds great because not only is it this, you know, fascinating little story that you've got there, but you've set it in a really great place because I love Brighton. Uh, my daughter lived there for a while um, and you've, you've set it in one of the old um, theatres that doesn't belong, that's um, now closed down. Uh, what? Where do you get your your love of the old theatre from then? What's well, your I've fascination worked, there? I've worked in theatre kind of my whole career, so working in the West End um, most of the time, really. And I'm kind of just fascinated by the theatre history. You sort of can't be working in, you know, these are really historic buildings that you get yeah. to work in all the time, and you just have to poke around and you find all these things. But um, I was kind of looking into the Brighton Pier because I thought a pier would be a really great place to set a murder mystery because it's kind of isolated on the end yeah. there, you know, that classic murder yeah. mystery scenario. Um, so while I was looking into that, I discovered this, what's now lost, the Palace Pier Theatre, and I just became a little bit obsessed with it. And I found more and more information um, about it as time went on. I went to some archives in Brighton to dig out some architectural plans, all these things. And I really enjoyed, you know, the research uh, part of it. And I just fell in love with this theatre, which, you know, it was described, I think, shortly before it was demolished as the finding, the finest surviving example of a theatre at the end of a pier. So yeah. to be able to kind of recreate it in a book and kind of bring it back to life again um, has been a real thrill for me. 
Yeah, and and it's and it's. I think these theatres are great because my I, we have something in common. Um, my daughter, one of my daughters, is a sound engineer. You probably heard me talk about this on the thing. And my other daughter um, works in marketing, but she works at the Royal Albert Hall. So sometimes I quite often get to go backstage where people don't normally go. And before that, the other daughter used to work at Glyndebourne, the opera place. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I know when you kind of you as 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 a participant in the audience you're kind of seeing this facade but when you go behind the scenes there's a whole nother world there's a whole labyrinth of corridors and back things and and underground tunnels that go across the street to the pub and all sorts of things in these different theatres it's great isn't it and of and course what, yeah, yeah it, uh, I, mean, I can imagine you just want to murder somebody there <laughs> in, <laughs> well, in, literally great, in a literary <laughs> way yeah yeah definitely i mean that's the thing you get a sort of people when you're watching a show you see you know five people on stage in a small play maybe 30 people in a musical and that's really like the tip of an iceberg it's a whole uh, machine of people and engineering and loads of stuff going on behind there so again like being able to put some of that in my book and especially because it's kind of the vintage stuff so the 1930s i've been able to include some more kind of old school techniques from the world of theatre and pop them in there as well so that's been really fun especially you know like I said as someone who's into theatre history and all these kind of techniques uh, it's been a real joy to get that into the book yeah because also I think the thing is with the theatre you you obviously you're, you're doing the automation so that you're and like you say a lot of it nowadays will be actually you know electronically able to move I'm, I'm sure you sit on a computer and sort that out but in the old days they used um you know, back in the day, they they used sailors, didn't they, to pull the ropes to pull the pull all the bits and pieces on? Because Glyndebourne has just changed and become automated, having had ropes all these years still. You know, and so it, it that was quite a funny thing. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, fascinating time to set a place to set a set a story and um, something that really interests me. Do you think um, you might write some more kind of theatre murder things that are more contemporary, set in the set in the present day? Uh, potentially potentially I mean I'm definitely one of my passions is finding these lost theatres because they do crop up all over the place and a lot of them quite a few of them the buildings still exist you know they've been repurposed for something else you know, classically it's bingo halls and things yeah. like that but there's often they've been um, transformed into churches or synagogues or mosques and things you know but the buildings all still exist they're still there so that is and it is my plan to kind of continue this series and revive uh, some more theatres and sort of lost theatrical locations in the book but yeah I have you know I've got this huge list in my Apple notes of all these ideas of potential murder mysteries and like it would I would quite like to do something more in the modern day I don't know if it'd be in theatre but it would definitely be around the world of entertainment I think because it's so you know maybe tv or film because um it's such a fun place to be and also there's lots of people pretending to be something they're not you know yeah. even when you go even presenters who are on tv kind of just being themselves yeah they're kind of presenting kind of an elevated you know uh kind of character of themselves essentially you know a persona yeah. um so yeah i think that's a really fun area to play with especially you know actors and presenters it's um yeah you don't, yeah. you don't yeah. really know if you're getting the full story. I mean, Agatha Christie loves using actors in her books. They often crop up quite a lot and you can never, 
you know, it's always a clue for Agatha Christie um, fanatics. As soon as an actor shows up, you've got to be instantly suspicious of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's fascinating. And like you say, you know, uh, because I'm I'm not involved in the theatre myself, but because both my kids are, I you know, I've seen stuff that I never knew was there, you know, and, and met other people, you know, like yourself, you know, pe- you know, people that are in the wardrobe, people that are, you know the sound engineers obviously that because that's what Katie does and and it is it is a different world that people just don't don't really see and there's not really any I'm surprised there's not more kind of documentaries about it or that you know there's not there's not a lot written that you find about it it's, it's like a kind of um I don't know it's, it's almost like it's a little secret isn't it yeah no it is and I think because that's part of you know part of our job is sort of protecting no one really wants to give away the secrets of what goes on about there because that's yeah. all part of the theatrical magic but a lot of what I've learned about you know theatre techniques and you know things from the old days are kind of things I've just picked up as I've gone on it's kind of it's been passed on to me by someone that you know used to work somewhere you know it's a real verbal history so everybody's kind got of, a story yeah, yeah exactly and obviously people love telling stories you know you've just got to get in the green room with the actors and everyone's got an anecdote they want to share or yeah. everyone's got a story they want to tell or something they heard and obviously for me it's fantastic because I can soak this all up and use this all in my books but um yeah it's not there's not a lot of it that's written down and even you know before the advent of smartphones of course people didn't really take pictures there is no documentation of all of these things it's a very um yeah there isn't a lot of it and it's like I wish I'd taken more pictures on shows that I did way back in the day because there's literally no record of them they come and go and these days I guess shows stay around for a little bit longer you know shows often last for six months a year um kind of a minimum but in the olden days you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks would really be kind of the maximum length of a show. So these things were really passing through quickly mm. and then disappearing without a trace. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, I do think things have a longer life because I think uh, the advertising goes deeper and further so that more people become aware of it apart from just the word of the mouth. And then, you know, it, it I think, you know, it becomes, you know, they, it's better for them to keep it going longer. Just circling back to this thing, because I've just this, I, I make these lists of notes and then I never use them <laughs> because I get talking to people and I don't ask anything that's written on here. But anyway, but I was just circling back to this Palace Theatre. Um, Jamie, was that on the Dead Pier then, that old theatre? Or was it on the pier that's there now in Brighton? No, so it's on the Palace Pier, which is the oh. pier you can walk down now. It is the one yeah. there. Ah, oh, that's was, the Palace Pier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, it was only demolished in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, I think, was when it actually got demolished. The idea was that it was being dismantled and taken away so they could do some work on the pier underneath. And then it kind of, you know, just disappeared and a bit of scandal. It was supposed to be put back um, and it never did. And I think the locals, you know, are still a bit in uproar about it because it was, you know, it was a great location, really. And theatres, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we hadn't, theatres were a bit, <laughs> we didn't have the big comeback that we have now with theatres. You know, theatres are super popular. They're always packed. Um, it wasn't so much so in the late 70s early 80s so there were plans to turn it into like an amusement arcade but be able to restore it back to theatrical use if they had to yeah. uh, but unfortunately none of that came to being because yeah the owners uh lost it quote unquote um so it really is a genuine lost theater i guess yeah yeah it's a real it's a real shame with a lot of these buildings yeah amazing anyway let's i'm just going to ask you very quickly about your um your, your book covers because we we sort of had a very 
brief email interaction, you and I. And um, you, this is your second book cover that you've put on Death on the Pier. And the one that you put on now is a lino cut. Now, I love lino cuts. You can probably see behind me. I've got one on the wall here, with mm, a, I can, with, yes. which, which yeah. is which is by um, Angela Harding. And uh, I just I just love those. And I think it really lends itself to the um, I didn't really think about it doing that, but it really lends itself the lino cut to the cozy mystery kind of vibe, doesn't it? It has that. I don't know what, almost poster-like, isn't it? Like a yes. theatre poster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I love the liner cut because it's hand done. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of, I don't know, there's somehow a lot of energy and all of that. The way it's been made is all in there and sort of the flaws of it yes, kind of really become the... part of the artwork. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, there was some, when the f book first came out, there was a bit of feedback from people that the cover might not quite represent what the book was about, which is why it's had a bit more of this kind of cozy murder mystery makeover on the front you know it's got the splash of blood on it now which yes, you have to yeah. put on every murder mystery book um so we've done that but i was really lucky um Gemma curtis who's the artist she does lino cuts of bookshops um and i happened to stumble across her on instagram um her handles wild water art store um and i just fell in love with those prints um and we got in touch and asked her if she'd be able to do some artwork for these books and it was fantastic like i said um to be able to recreate this palace pier theater in the book and in the pages was something that was really you know special and fun for me to do but now to have a chance to go back and put it front and center on the cover and recreate you know this lost architecture as a piece of artwork um was something that was you know super rewarding and really fun and i'm really glad that we got to do it because i think you know it looks great and she's also yeah, it done, does look great yeah yeah she's done uh we got two for one basically so she's done you've got uh, the, the next cover one already ready. for the next one yeah, as yeah. well so that's yeah. ready to go Perfect. but i've got them i've got the originals you can't see them because they're off yeah. screen but i've got the originals hanging on my walls and they're you know they're fantastic it's a bit yeah. you know it's a shame we had to cover them up a bit of the book title and things like that and the quotes yeah. but um the original they're just fantastic yeah no I think I think it's a really a really nice thing uh, and also you know when, when your thing came up you know in the email and um and I saw the book cover and I did think straight away I thought ah oh, yes nice cover because I I always recognize real art you know whether you know it you can see that somebody's done that and it's it's a proper thing and it, it does make all the difference I think yeah really nice the other thing I've noticed is because I always get everybody's visuals is that I've noticed unlike so many people I'm always nagging other authors because I've been around for a long time um you've actually got your a plus content on there well done jamie oh yes no i love <laughs> yeah. that yeah 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 it Fantastic. looks good as well it looks really nice i've done the same thing for my doing the, the long strips going down with with just a few things and it's you know it's free advertising space i'm, I'm amazed that more people don't put their a plus content on and it's easy to do um on the back of this i'll if you know listeners if you I'll give a quick thing about where to find it if you haven't found your A plus content, but I won't bother bother with it right now. But yeah, it does look really neat, and I think it brings it all together somehow. Yeah, it's well yeah, no, it's a great, it's a huge bit of space that you huge kind of bit of space. get to yourself down there. I mean, yeah. originally I tried to do it with there's like three little individual ones you get. In I know. I tried to do it with that, but I felt I've came foul across some sort of 
um, limit or something they did. So I did exactly the same thing. I didn't change a thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> did exactly the same thing and just did it in those strips and they accepted it. So yeah, um, yeah, it was really great to um, yeah, it's really great to use that space definitely. Yeah, and, and just to give that bit more visual impact. Yeah, very nice. So Jamie, um, the Death on the Pier is your first published book but come on tell me how many books have you got in the bottom drawer that you didn't publish <laughs> <laughs> well there has been there has been a few I, i'm this is the first one that i've ever really got all the way to finishing you know i'm one of those people that starts things gets completely disillusioned with it and then stops but i think the turning point for me is podcasts like this and other podcasts i've listened to because for a long time i thought I wasn't able to be a writer because, you know, I see people on the TV or hear them on the radio talking about their books and they're like, oh yeah, I sort of dashed it off in a couple of evenings, you know, but not quite boasting, but you know, that people are able to just write a book in one go and that's about, that's about it. Um, but for me, it's a lot longer. I sort of go through not hundreds of drafts but loads and loads of drafts as I slowly build up this story and listening to podcasts and listening to other writers and their routines um kind of gave me the confidence like no you don't have to write the book straight out you can sort of invent your own process yeah exactly. for the book you're writing and actually yeah. you know potentially each different book you write might require a different process so yeah. you know writing is creating that process basically so yeah. that's what gave me the confidence to actually really finish this one uh and yeah there have been a couple of other ones that haven't quite got there but i may return to one of them in the future we're talking about doing a contemporary kind of modern day one there is that one sitting in my drawer and i really like the idea in it so hopefully i'll return to that but it didn't quite it didn't quite work out the way it is and sometimes you sort of got to go back to the beginning haven't you and kind of take that idea and give another run at it again so yeah i think yeah, i think also there's crossed. there's quite a few books that you write they're not they're not you haven't wasted your time because doing that you've learned how to write you've learned something about yourself as a writer you've learned something about your process and i think if you can uh don't beat yourself up about it i think just put it to one side and, and you, you can you can take some of those ideas and they might pitch up in another book or they might you might think actually i'm ready now to go back to that and now i'm a better writer i'm going to I know how to execute that novel, but perhaps you didn't know it at that time. I, th I don't think any writing is wasted. I think it's always worth worth doing. And and I don't think, um, I think I've got a blog post out at the moment that says something like, my writing day and why I don't care if it doesn't look like yours. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I think, you know, you know naturally we all judge ourselves against other people don't we and we read people even when it's people getting picked up for their million pound book deals and we kind of compare ourselves to that but it's that's if that's the reason you're writing is kind of in competition you sort of have to let that go to one side and just concentrate on what you're doing and how you enjoy your writing because you know i sort of think if you're not enjoying it well i wouldn't bother doing it if i didn't enjoy that process and like i said yeah. it's a slow process and it gets there eventually it's like i just keep adding and adding layers um, yes. and just keep yeah. building from a small draft rather than i know some writers you know almost overwrite and generate hundreds of thousands of words and then cut it back to reveal yeah. the final thing i sort of do the opposite i sort of build up i start with because then i can just write what i feel like on the day sometimes i write a chapter and it's entirely dialogue because i'm not in the mood to do some scene description and other days it's just the action and i was like well i'll work out what they say later you can just get it down 
and then kind of go back and add to it or refine it later. But once, as long as you've got the idea down, you've got something to work on. And yeah. that's what's, that's been really revelatory for me. And that's what's really led to this book, certainly being able to be finished. And I was like, yeah, it's been a really fun process for me because of that. Yeah, I, th I think it's having your own your own process. And, and I think the more I've written, the more I do now, I, I'm, I'm actually quite confident that what I'm doing is okay, if you know what I mean. You know, I feel I feel comfortable in my own writer's skin these days. I don't sort of think, oh, well, I've only written this much today because I'm dyslexic, so it's always bloody slow. God, you know, I mean, if you saw my first draft, you know, it's just covered in red. I've got no link words. A lot <laughs> of the words have got no space between, so it's just like one word <laughs> going across the page. So it's a complete mess. But I know I can sort it out, and I know I can bring it to a some sort of um intelligent part <laughs> whether i can actually send it off to my editor and go okay put the commas in you know sort it out you know i know i know i can get it into a cohesive thing and and i'm not frightened by how it looks to start with i doesn't you know to start with when i was a younger writer and i would write and i would go why am i doing this it's so awful now i just go this is what it looks like to begin with tomorrow yeah and it always yeah uh, and it always starts awful and that's fine yeah. that's absolutely fine I think yeah, yeah. well my, my awful is pretty awful and I I've <laughs> decided like oh I'm going to um do a blog post and put bravely I hope my a, a page that I haven't touched yet when it just comes out of my head the first actual first when it goes down to show people this is how bad it starts off as you know <laughs> you know so don't give up I don't think anybody should give up because I think if you've got a story in you I think it's really important and I think it's a gift actually I think it's a gift to you know bring it out and, and do it and and have people read it it's it's a really nice thing ah so how many books do you plan have you planned planned a whole series or are you um thinking that you're just going to do these two or well I'm not sure I know like I said I've got this apple note that's full of ideas um and I know potentially there's a third one that I've got an idea for after this, but it could go on, you know, maybe not forever. It has to, you know, has to end at some point. Um, but there's kind of like, I don't call it's not a romance because it's not a romance yet, but it's a relationship between Bertie and Hugh. And that's something that's going to very, and I don't really, very slow yeah. burn. <laughs> um, and I'm not, to be honest, I'm not even sure it's going yet because I feel like I need to, I can't write the ending in eight books time. I sort of feel like I need to go on the journey with them and yes. discover, yeah. you know, because between now you and then. You learn about they, them as you go, don't you? Exactly. People? And, the, yeah, and yeah. things are going to happen to them and they're going yeah. to, they're going to have done cases. Um, and it's only at the end that they'll have had that experience as well, that I want to know what's going to happen. So yeah, people have had their theories already, but you know your theory at this point in time is just as good as mine i've got yeah. no idea exactly where it's going to end up but i'm sort I of find, excited to see i sometimes i find with a love scene now i was i was writing a scene yesterday and i and my my protagonist and her sort of enemies to lover thing they were going they were going to have a kiss and then when it got to it i thought oh no they're not <laughs> and and all morning i was like well as soon as i've done these chores i'm going to do and this is it they're going to and then i thought that whole scene changed in my head because as i wrote it i i knew more about them and i thought no he really wouldn't and and that was and it, it all completely changed again and it's only when you write it when you're really in that zone and you're thinking about that character that you it's almost like you're meeting them or you're observing them somehow in some weird weird way that writers have and then you learn 
what it is they'd really do. But hypothetically, while you're hoovering, you can't really do it, not until you sat in front of the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can sort of mull all these things over, yeah. you know, while you're doing other things. And it's like I said, there's a million different theories I can have as well as my readers. I don't really know which one of those are. And I'm happy to, you know, think about what will happen. But it's only when we get to it and we're kind of writing it down. I sort of think when you're writing, it's almost like, you know a couple of actors improvising you but you're writing it down rather than yeah. acting it out and you yeah. really you've got to play with the scenes and see what what comes of it and it's like you can go in having an idea but you've really got to let yourself be led by the scene you're writing the chapter you're writing and see where that goes not kind of be limited by you know i don't do a very detailed outline i do a little bit um I obviously know who's done it and why they've done it, but everything else kind of comes along on the way. And that's the advantage of having this when you do lots of drafts and you go back and keep adding. You can build up in that way. You don't have to have it all set and decided at the beginning. You can build up slowly and, you know, there's little clues. There was a clue in the in Death on the Pier that got added right before it went to proofreading, um, right at the last minute. And it mm. kind of really made part of that book um so it was really yeah it's really exciting you've got to keep on working keep evolving things um because every time you read the book that you've written you learn something new or you're like oh maybe this should happen so you know they always say books are never finished don't they but they never, sort of never are because no, no, you know i could no. read it now and have another idea so yeah i think you've always got to have some other some you know at some point you have to draw the line in the sand and go right okay this is it you know it's it's going off onto the thing do you think as you work in theatre Jamie that you might write a play do you think books would always be your medium do you think you might write write something for the stage well many 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 years ago now um, when I was still at college doing my BTEC performing arts um, I did start off writing the odd play for like the other students there I even was so bold as to write a full-length musical which you know I'd never even consider doing um, these days so that was I've always had that kind of storytelling thing you know I've always wanted to create something and tell stories and that did start out in plays and things um, but yeah I was the novel I always think things fit different formats some things work better as plays some things work better as films um, and this idea definitely just felt like a murder mystery novel for me so mm. that was the way it went but it's also there's something really satisfying about writing novels because you're working on the thing you know when you're mm. working on a play you're doing the words but there's still a whole other production to come before it's mm. finished you know the play on stage is the thing not necessarily the script no one's you know you can buy the script obviously but that's not the final product Whereas in a novel, it's still collaborative because you're still working with editors and proofreaders and beta readers and all those things. Um, but you're working on the actual thing. And when you're done, it's done. That's it. And that's what mm. people are going to get in their hands. And like I said, there's something really satisfying about doing that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's something very nice about when you the end of it when you get that. I'm just waiting for proofs, copies. And, and although they're only the proofs, so there'll probably be something bloody wrong with it and I'll probably want to fiddle around with it and do something 
change it or something but but just to have that actual book in your hand because I think the other thing is which is kind of weird for the modern writer is we tend to I mean I'm assuming you're writing on a computer unless you're going to say oh no I always write on a typewriter <laughs> um you know but most of us write you know in the ether as it were so th- so it's almost like it doesn't really exist until you go and here's the paperback edition and then you've actually got it in your hand you know it's almost like ebooks are great I mean I read loads of ebooks you know, I publish an ebook as well, but but there's something very nice about holding that whole thing in your hand and thinking, I I made this. This is, came out of my head. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's a physical, tangible yeah, thing yeah. you can hold, and there's something you know great about that. Yeah, doing the kind of drafts and the editing. Um, I do a lot of editing on my iPad, so I've not got, and I just do it with my the Apple Pencil or whatever it is, because I don't want the temptation of fiddling around with the words. I just want to act as an editor so I can sort of go through circle things and fix that later. And I even do, when you sort of do it in Microsoft Word as well, um, with tracking changes, you know, you normally get that from from an editor. I sort of do that with myself sometimes just to resist the temptation of trying to fix things as I go along. I just want to read the book as a thing and make the notes as I go through and then I'll go back through and fix it so an iPad's a really good way of doing that because it kind of stops you from from doing it but then (laughs) I've also got you know I've got it's in the attic still I've got about five different versions of it printed off which is obviously a huge stack of paper but there's something about going through that and doing changes with a pencil yeah that um again is it's you're working on a physical tangible thing and you sort of spot different things because when you're kind of seeing a big page like that I don't know you kind of pick out different things that I wouldn't necessarily catch in Microsoft Word or if I was doing it as a PDF on the iPad. So it's like, mm. use everything you've got to your advantage and all these yeah. different forms of things. And yeah, that final book, when you've got that in your hands, you're just like, this is, yeah, it's a physical, tangible thing. Yeah, I always have to read it aloud. Great. Yes, definitely. Yeah, 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 I always have to read it aloud. I, I find otherwise I'm... Um, uh, I, I sort of skim across and, and then I think when you read aloud, you read a bit slower and I try and read it aloud as if I was reading it to somebody, not just mumbling on for myself. And then it kind of makes you slow, slow down. Dog enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> She's not here today. She's usually asleep behind me, the whippet. Um, she, and and uh, yeah, I think that's a good way because you're, you're kind of hearing it. It gives you a different feel, I think, to it. Yes. You know? and, and I think you need to feel the rhythm of the rhythm of the words you know yeah, especially definitely. for children's books you know you, they need to have a rhythm you know to them I don't know not I don't mean in rhyme but just to and I can't even explain what that is but I know when it's right <laughs> yeah I always think especially you know I love I get me maybe this is my theatre play sort of background thing because obviously plays are always people talking I guess mm. but I always think you've got to nail the rhythm of someone speaking on mm. the with the punctuation and where you're putting your speech tags and things like that and breaking it up in a way that sounds like someone's saying it because and also the way it does get broken up you know that's your character mm. <laughs> you know that's all part of it and if it doesn't sound like a different person or it doesn't sound like someone speaking that there's a break for me there and I'm not I can't engage as well so yeah I'm really checking that when I'm reading back my stuff that it sounds mm. like you know firstly something a real person might actually do but um it sounds like it sounds like someone's talking to me yeah yeah absolutely I, I think it's important that you have um even though we're writing fiction that that it, 
you, you, the, the reader must be able to suspend their disbelief. They must be able to think this is this is happening, and it, you know it's you know that imagination is walking around in their head just as it has for you. Yeah, it, it is important to get that right. And I think speech is particularly something that you have to really get right. And I quite often, if I I read a book recently and it was it was beautifully written, but it was sort of almost too beautifully written because the speech was just not how people talk. Yeah. And yeah, and absolutely. I thought people people don't people talk in contractions and there was sort of no contractions. It was quite odd. And I thought perhaps she knows posher people than me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what it is. I'm obviously mixing with <laughs> no, mixing with the wrong people. Because <laughs> obviously mine's, you know, a historical book, I guess. The 1930s is now sort of considered um you know historical um fiction i guess um but i always find when i read historical fiction sometimes that kind of old-timey language i find that a bit of a barrier um and it kind of it does the opposite of rather immersing you in the world it kind of lifts you out of it because it doesn't feel right so even though you know all my characters are still using 1930s terms and there's nothing modern in there um i've tried to avoid kind of recreating kind of that 1930s like toodle pit what ho kind of language which obviously that's very um stereotypical but i just think it allows me and it allows readers to immerse yourselves a bit more in the story and not have that barrier by kind of leaving those things out um that's yeah i often find that's a little bit of a barrier but then i love historical novels as well so you know it's so hard when you're analyzing balance, other people's books to mm. find out yeah where things lie and also because we've got like two gay characters or two potentially gay characters in this bertie certainly is we're not so sure about hugh yet um people's expectations of gay characters today are very different than yes, the reality was yeah. back then and it's really hard to find that balance because if i wrote them as historically accurate it wouldn't really work and people have let you know hugh's very lightly written in that regard but people have jumped on it straight away whereas actually in the 1930s someone reading this wouldn't think any anything different about it they would just go oh, they're just two friends so it's really yeah. it's really hard to find especially that balance when you're balancing you know what we know now um with how things were in the 1930s yeah yeah interesting really interesting your your next book your work in progress is this also set with the same characters i'm guessing these obviously the two guys um are they in love are they not i want to know now um <laughs> <laughs> i'm kind of hoping that will be um i are is it set in the same pier or or are they going to um, go to a different theater a different old theater no we're back in london now so uh -huh. bertie is a london-based playwright so it's sort yeah. of a bit of a uh. holiday jaunt which also you know when you're away on holiday that kind of affects you know how you act a bit more but now they're back in london Hughes back at scotland yard um so things are a little bit different back in london which has been fun to play with but the next one's set at the gaiety theater oh yeah which used to be um a theater at the end of the strand there's a hotel there um, now it was demolished in the 1950s um, in the end but yeah the Gaiety Theatre which was right at the end of the Strand um, and it didn't really survive I think there was some bomb damage during the war so it never really came back after the war but in the 1930s it was you know a pretty good pretty good sizable venue it's got a long history they sort of invented the musical what we know now as the edwardian musical comedy mm. which kind of bridges the gap between um, operetta and 
today's modern musicals. So that was kind mm. of invented at this theatre. And yeah, it's been really fun to bring that back to life and also other associated bits with that theatre. So you can't mm. have the Gaiety Theatre without mentioning Romano's Restaurant, which was round the corner where everyone used to go and dine and was kind of a big theatrical um, establishment, a bit, probably a bit uh, bigger in the years before it kind of faded a bit by the 1930s but it was a place where lots of theatrical people kind of hung out so it was fun to recreate that as well and I've sort of gone down a rabbit hole of recreating all kinds of lost mm, places sounds, that we've sounds, now lost so uh, sounds great. do you really think you fun. might write a non-fiction book about about the lost theatres to use all the um because because you could I'm all about, you know, one IP and many, you know, you know, you learn something, you write something, you can use it in many ways. You know, you could you could um, definitely do something about, you know, that kind of thing. It's, yeah, I don't it's know fascinating, my, um, isn't it? it? No, it is fascinating. I wish, you know, someone else would do it for me because <laughs> I was like, I love I love looking into these things, but I was like, I'm not you know, I'm not necessarily a student of research or anything. It's not research isn't my uh, strongest. I don't think it's done up to too much scrutiny, but it's good enough for what I need to take out of it. Mean. And my per yeah. you know, satisfies my personal interest. But I don't know that, you know, I'm necessarily a particularly academic person in that in that kind of regard. But yeah, yeah. it's it's so fun. It's such a shame, though, because um, the V&A are actually moving their a lot of their storage around and loads of plans of the gaiety and things from that are there but you just can't access them at the moment which is such yeah. a shame because i'd loved because it was so fun like i said digging through the archives in brighton to unearth plans and photos of um the palace pier theater was really fun to do and i felt you know it felt like i was in indiana jones getting all these things out of the archives it was really fun <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, it sounds like a fascinating book. Jamie, it went nearly out of time. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me, all my social media handles, uh, this is Jamie West. Uh, so you can find me there or you can visit my website, which probably needs a little bit of an update, to be fair, uh, which is jamiewest.co.uk. Brilliant. We'll look forward to finding you then. I'll leave those notes in the show notes. Right, so Okay, so lovely to talk to Jamie West. What a lovely guy. And so do check him out and have a look at those book covers. They really are rather beautiful. And uh, as usual, notes in the show notes, anything that we've mentioned, the artists that we spoke about, and obviously links to get hold of Jamie as well. Now, during this episode, I did talk about A-plus content, and I didn't obviously want to take up Jamie's interview talking about that, but I'll have a quick word with you about it right now. I think I've mentioned this before, but... If you go into your Amazon account and um, you get into the nitty gritty, you will find that there is a place where you can add in your A plus content. If you look at my stuff, uh, DJ Bowman Smith or myself as, as a children's author, Tiger Molly, you'll as you scroll down the page, you'll see a bit that says uh, from the publisher. And then there's a bit more advertising space there where you can put some graphics up. And uh, I think for the children's stuff, I've got some some of the illustrations from the book um and for the uh adult stuff for the dark fantasy that i write it, it's got kind of a, a take on the book cover and a bit more a few more words and odds and ends um but the thing is it's really easy to do it's it's not hard to do they give you a template you just ship your graphics into in there and it's a bit of free advertising space um it doesn't cost you anything just a bit of time and it's really really is well worth doing so i would definitely have a look at other authors that are in your genre and see what they do and uh, do the same so i'm saying just don't waste 
this free advertising because I don't think it'll be free forever. So I, I would get in there and get it up. So that's my take on that. Okay, so next week, my guest is also a bit historical. She's called Kate Wiseman and she's a mudlark. These are the people that go into the Thames, well, and other rivers as well, but the Thames in particular, I believe, and they look through the mud and they find little bits and pieces that tell us about the people that lived there before. And she's a writer for children and she's um, written some stories about children that used to be mudlarks, children that kind of made their living from finding odds and ends and selling them on. Um, in in that world and she was a fascinating character and we'll be telling us all about that so that's next week so right that's it from me um i will be back next week on the monday with kate wiseman in the meantime you can find me at www.djbowmansmith.com or as tigermolly.com if you want to find me as a children's author okay have a great week see you again and thanks for listening Bye-bye.